You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, April 13th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 923, and coming up on today's show, in the news, Canada files its legislation to legalize marijuana by July 2018. In our cannabis focus, a fight over minority access to Maryland medical marijuana dispensary licenses leads to an ultimatum from the Legislative Black Caucus. In Drug War Data Mining, we take a look at how Arkansas is the latest medical marijuana state to hand the business over to the wealthy. In Police for Reform, we chat with former Texas Corrections Officer Brian Chapman about the boiling death of inmate Darren Rainey in Florida. And in the Radical Rant, another blast at the evil gay sea mammal of Mordor, Idaho Governor Butch Otter. Then in hour two, we take your calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ. But first, let's get to the news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in four minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Thursday, April 13th, 2017. Tom Angel at Massroots is reporting that the Canadian government has taken its first legislative step toward fulfilling Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's campaign pledge to legalize marijuana. Late Tuesday night, the government filed a notice of the introduction of, quote, an act respecting cannabis and to amend the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, the Criminal Code, and other acts, end quote. The bill will be sponsored by Jody Wilson-Raybould, the nation's Minister of Justice and Attorney General. CBC reported that the legislation will likely allow people to possess up to 30 grams of marijuana and grow up to four cannabis plants at home. The legal age of use will be 18, but provinces and territories will be authorized to set higher age limits. Local governments will also be charged with setting the prices of marijuana and determining how it is distributed and sold. The legislature on Thursday approved a set of rules to govern the use of medical marijuana in North Dakota, an uncomfortable compromise for many Republican lawmakers in the conservative state who were surprised that voters legalized it. The Senate got the two-thirds majority vote needed to amend the citizen initiative after the House did the same earlier this month. GOP Governor Doug Burgum said he would sign the legislation that establishes rules for the use of marijuana, including smoking it as medicine for people who suffer from debilitating illnesses including terminally ill patients. However, a doctor or now a nurse practitioner must still recommend smoking marijuana as medicine for people who suffer from some diseases. Legislation authorizing the use of medical marijuana is quickly moving through the Iowa Senate with the goal of providing help for patients with cancer, post-traumatic stress, and a host of other ailments. But the bill appears to face a major roadblock in the House where there aren't enough votes 
within the Republican caucus to pass the Senate bill, according to House Republican leaders. The Senate bill would allow for patients with a range of medical conditions to obtain a medical cannabis registration card after receiving written approval from a doctor. The card would enable a patient to obtain medical marijuana from a dispensary in Iowa. It would legalize the production and distribution of medical marijuana in Iowa and would legally reclassify marijuana under state law. House Republicans don't appear ready to support that level of expansion. Nevada's Senate Judiciary Committee has passed bills that reform the state's fledgling marijuana legalization. SB 236 would allow local governments to permit marijuana lounges and other marijuana consumption licenses. It passed with all four Democrats in favor and all three Republicans opposed. SB 374 also passed along party lines. It would add opioid addiction as a qualifying condition for medical marijuana. SB 277 passed unanimously and would allow the medical marijuana registry information to be shared with the Department of Parole and Probation. Another unanimous bill, SB 344, sets the serving size for marijuana edibles at 10 milligrams of THC. With less than a month to go in the session, Florida lawmakers remain far apart on how to carry out an amendment approved by voters in November that legalizes medical marijuana for chronic pain and other ailments. Bills in the Senate and House don't agree on the details of expanding access to the drug, from adding pot distributors to deciding whether doctors can recommend marijuana to people who haven't been their patients for at least three months. The Senate bill, sponsored by Senator Rob Bradley, SB 406, is seen as more permissive and has drawn support from medical marijuana advocates while the House bill, sponsored by Representative Ray Rodriguez, HB 1397, is widely considered more restrictive and is backed by the Drug-Free America Foundation. In Dallas, being caught with some marijuana may not mean a trip to jail anymore. A new program approved Wednesday afternoon by the Dallas City Council will let people walk away with only a ticket if they're caught with less than four ounces of marijuana. If they are caught, they'll have to appear in court, much like when someone gets a speeding ticket. Offenders would be eligible to walk away with a ticket if they have a valid ID and are at least 17 years old with no other prior convictions. They'd also have to provide a thumbprint. Voters in Virginia are ready to reform marijuana laws. A Quinnipiac poll released today found support at 59% with 35% opposition. Republicans and people over age of 60 were opposed, but all other listed groups supported legalized marijuana and supported medical by 92 to 6. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Thursday, April 13th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. One in five teens has used prescription drugs to get high. Stop the abuse. Your kids need you to visit CanadaDrugFree.org. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. 
Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. We can do a lot of privatizations and private prisons. It seems to work a lot better. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they aim you to say that. Dude, 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 dude. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we want to take a look at the fight that is currently going on in the House of Delegates in the state of Maryland, where there is a controversy over the licensing for medical marijuana. Uh, Specifically, there were 15... firms that were allowed to uh, 15 firms that would be chosen, excuse me, for the medical marijuana licenses. And it seems that uh, black owned firms kind of got a raw deal in the situation. And to deal with that, there had been legislation proposed in Maryland to uh, help to exacerbate the situation or to ameliorate the situation to it provides some more licenses to minority applicants. A couple have sued already, uh, some that are have even been guests on this show. And the threat here or the uh, accusation is that the uh, legislature allowed the session to die on purpose without calling this particular bill. And now some of the uh, delegates from the the legislative black caucus are calling on a special one day session to uh, bring that to a a vote. We're going to take a look at some video now that we have from the Baltimore Sun with uh, one of the delegates discussing the situation. We're we're here right now saying that we do need a special session. I have every intention in talking to Governor Hogan. I will continue to talk along with the legislators and the chair of the Black Caucus to speak a Bush to have a special session I have never been as angry and disappointed in the legislature in my three terms of service. What happened on Sunny Dime, it was orchestrated. Ray Charles could have seen what was happening. I stood there at the rostrum to let them know I'm not going anywhere. And I was crushed at what I saw happening before my eyes. And that was a well-orchestrated plan to defeat the bill, to let it go down at the last minute. We're talking about generations of African Americans who have been disproportionately impacted by the marijuana laws in this country. And now that we have medical marijuana legal in the state of Maryland, what the, what the legislature is saying to us, what the leadership is saying to us, is that African Americans will not be allowed to have licenses? No, that is not acceptable. With the little breath in my body, I am not defined by being Delegate Glenn. So there's no way you can threaten me. There's no way you can intimidate me. This is what is right for African Americans in the state of Maryland. 
Now, the bill, as Senator Carter Conway said, it was passed by the Health and Government Operations Committee with the amendments put on by the Senate, which included the two companies that were bumped out of the top 15. Let me tell you, if we do nothing, then the status quo stays in place. The Legislative Black Caucus of Maryland has 50 members. And you tell me, number one, how can the Democratic Party pass anything in the legislature without us? How can we be successful in next year's elections without us? They can't. And they won't unless they resolve this. And yes, I'm putting the ultimatum out there. One day special session immediately fix this issue. Fix it. All we have to do is come back one day. All we have to do is pick up from where we left off. It was on the floor. The House concurred with the Senate amendments. I'm angry and I'm disappointed and I'm going to tell you even more so, I'm ashamed right now of being a Democrat in the state of Maryland. Make me proud, Speaker Bush. Make me proud, President Miller. Make me proud, Dr. Yes, fantastic video there from the Baltimore Sun on the uh, congr- the Legislative Black Caucus there fighting for the license issue, and and this is one that uh, we've discussed before on this show in various incarnations as these states continue to legalize marijuana, and that is the roadblocks that get put in the way of minorities who want to get involved with the industry. Primarily, it's the one where they say if you've got a prior conviction that you can't apply for a license. Well, well, guess who got most of the prior convictions, right? At a four-to-one ratio, it was black and Latino people. So that right on its face is unfair, and it also is a little illogical, if you ask me. Uh, why would we want to deny licenses to the people who were doing it illegally and got caught? Wouldn't, wouldn't we want to make them legal? Don't we want to take them out of the criminal world? I mean, there will always exist a black market. Don't you want to get the best players out of that market and put them into the legal regulated market? doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I've often recommended that we have a, a sort of an affirmative action program when it comes to marijuana licensing and not based on race per se, but it would have a racial effect. And that is don't disqualify people that got prior, prior convictions. Give them extra points. They get bonus points if they were prior convicted. This way, white guys who got busted for cultivating or whatever would still get those bonus points. It wouldn't be racially based. But since more black people got busted, it would de facto be kind of a a racial uh, uh, – what's the dang word? Uh, uh, Not appropriations. Dang it. Um, (sighs) Reparations. Thank you. Reparations. Could not come up with the word. Uh, But this is something that – needs to be looked at in every state and congratulations to the legislative black caucus and to step up with an ultimatum like this. I mean, they're saying they don't put together this one day special session. The black caucus in Maryland isn't going to work with the Democrats. Now, Maryland is a democratically controlled state, but if the Democrats can't get any, uh, any cooperation with the black caucus, they can't form a large enough block to be able to get anything done. This sounds like a very serious threat coming out there. Like she said, I'm putting the ultimatum out there. That's a quote. The problem they had here is they had 
a, a ranking system for the marijuana licenses. And you had to meet all these different criteria, and they picked the top 15. But there were some shenanigans that went on in Maryland where a couple of these firms that had placed in the top 15 were moved down. Uh, a couple other firms that had placed lower were moved up. There seemed to be some uh, – looked a little shady as far as some of these people's connections politically and economically speaking that may have gotten them sp- some special favors. The legislature there in Maryland put this bill together to put those two rejected firms back into the top 15 to kind of undo the mistake. And as was described, the legislature, the uh, president uh, of the Senate and the uh, the House Speaker, allowed the legislature to adjourn without ever calling that bill. This is something that uh, will keep following up on here. It's uh, very serious. We have yet to get any uh, any response from the Republican governor, the Senate President Thomas Mike Miller, and the House Speaker Michael Bush have yet to have uh, put that forward. The members of the caucus, there's 51 members of them uh, in that legislature in Maryland. So we're talking about a, a very big block that could really gum up the works in the state if they don't get any resolution on this ultimatum. And looking through the other states as well, we're seeing some moves. We've uh, talked previously about California and how in the city of Oakland, they were moving forward with a plan that would grant more licenses in locations that had been more heavily policed in prohibition times to try to make up for the impact that prohibition has had on some of those neighborhoods that has run into some roadblocks as well with some questioning the constitutionality of such a move. We will continue to follow up on that. We're looking as well at the uh, state of Oregon where we have moved forward. And I think in the best way by opening up our marijuana licensing to as many people as want to apply to it, we have no hard and fast limit on how many licenses there are going to be here in this state. And we've got a fantastic program now of helping people expunge their prior criminal records. So people who had been busted in the past can get that record taken off or or cleared off and then go ahead and apply for licenses, which uh, last I checked were still among the lowest priced licenses as well. We'll be taking a look at that in the drug war data mines next where Uh, We look at how the states are jacking up these fees and these uh, license uh, renewal costs so high that nobody but the wealthy can get involved in that. So stay tuned for that as well. Also, later on in the show today, in hour two, we'll be visiting with our guest, Matt. He's here with Stuff Stoners Like. Glad to have you back in the studio, Matt. Good to be here, Russ. Thanks for having me. How was your first night sleeping here at the Delta 9 House and Studios? Uh, More comfortable than a lot of places I've stayed in. Definitely. (laughs) That's good to know. We had some uh, uh, biscuits and gravy today for breakfast. That was nice. So good. Dinner. Amazing. You're an epic cook. Well, thank you. Uh, I I don't know what I'm going to eat when you're gone. (laughs) I can cook Stuff Stoners Like because... Well, I'm a stoner. Cheeseburgers, I, perfect. I, I got to eat. Yeah, we had cheeseburgers last night with uh, house burgers dabs. and bacon and and uh, dabs. With and, dabs. And sautéed mushrooms. Yep, and, and then topped with dabs. And topped. <laughs> we had it topped with dabs. That's I can right. hear it in your voice today. I think we got you a little too. I got a little dabby. <laughs> a little dabby. It happens. My, my uh, register goes down like a, about a half an octave yeah. if I've had, <laughs> had enough dabs. It's really cool. Uh, tell folks the website they need to look up for Stuff Stoners Like and all the rest. StuffStonersLike.com, of course, and Hotbox.Earth. That's our uh, little podcast. I love I love that there's dot earth websites now. Yeah, I love that they charge you an extra twenty bucks and then spam the crap out of any email account you make. 
whatever. <laughs> well, there's that too, I suppose. It's worth it though. It's cool. It's hotbox.earth. There we go. All right. So, uh, that's everything here from, uh, Delta Nine House and Studios. Make sure you check us out at facebook.com slash Delta Nine House. We're taking reservations for the 420 weekend. You better jump on it right now. We still got some 420 weekend spots available and, uh, the eclipse in August. That's coming. So, uh, Look it up now, facebook.com slash Delta Nine House. Well, excuse me! All right, that sound means it is 20 after the hour, 420 in the Rocky Mountain time zone, the land of my birth, where I'm headed back. I'm headed back to Idaho this weekend, or as I like to call it, a tolerance break. <laughs> so I better uh, smoke them now while I can. We'll be right back after this. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. Some of the people who were taking marijuana for those purposes, the coroner uh, believed after they died there was drug interactions. Okay, maybe you're high too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they... Amy to say that. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at the state of Arkansas, the first southern state or southeastern uh, state, I guess, to pass a medical marijuana law aside from Florida. But uh, Arkansas passed their medical cannabis amendment, one that doesn't allow for home cultivation, but they still had to put together the rules. And those rules have just been finalized by the Arkansas Medical Marijuana Commission just on Tuesday. They still have to be reviewed by the legislature, but uh, it looks like this is the way the state of Arkansas will run. And a few of these things have been uh, adjusted. They have to be approved by May 8th, according to the Constitution. But uh, it looks as though they are going to have an application period for dispensaries and cultivation facilities starting on July 1st, and some marijuana sales could occur before January. So looking good as far as the uh, timeline, at least compared to some other states that have taken a year and a half or two years to get on board. The Medical Marijuana Commission is one of three agencies that's involved in this. Uh, Alcohol Beverage Control is in charge of inspecting the facilities. Because, you know, when it comes to distribution of medicines, who better to ask than the alcoholic beverage control people? 
the Department of Health will issue the registry cards for the patients, but won't be inspecting the dispensaries. Okay, uh, so that's the way that's going to go. Alcohol Beverage Control approved their rules this week. Uh, Board of Health is considering their rules next month. And here are some of the rules. So the Arkansas Amendment 98 requires that 60% of the facility's owners are Arkansans, but doesn't specify what share of business ownership the Arkansans must hold. So they're trying to pass this bill, House Bill 1371, to close what he calls a loophole, the uh, representative sponsoring it. Uh, it was approved by the House but rejected by the Senate, so it's still a question now as to you know what sort of ownership. It looks as though uh, you know out-of-state ownership would be able to have just these straw owners that they back financially, but they're Arkansans technically. We'll see how that shakes out. But what's more important here has to do with the cultivation. First of all, they came up with a definition of uh, mature marijuana plants. They decided that uh, a mature marijuana plant is one that is flowering. A flowering plant is mature. Uh, Judges? Yes, that is correct. A flowering plant is mature, unlike... Oregon's old law that said 12 inches tall is mature, which is kind of like saying a girl is sexually mature when she's over five foot tall. It's just not the way it works, folks. But anyway, the medical marijuana amendment allowed the dispensaries to grow 50 mature plants. So they had to define what mature was, so flowering plant. So a dispensary can grow 50 mature plants and they set 150 immature plants as a maximum. So now we got 200 plants total, 50 of them can be mature in a dispensary. So the rules that are approved authorize 32 dispensaries and five cultivation facilities. Let's do some math here. 32 times 200 or 32 times 50. It's uh, not a whole lot of plants. (laughs) Whatever the math works out to, it's not enough plants to satisfy the patients of a state, if you ask me. Uh, They were authorized to go between 20 and 40 dispensaries and between four and eight cultivation facilities. Uh, So they kind of sit there in the middle. 32 dispensaries, five cultivation facilities. Now, suppose you'd like to operate one of these dispensaries. Okay, well, all you got to do is come up with a $7,500 application fee. And if you're rejected, you'll get half that back. So right off the bat, you got to be willing to lose $3,750. You'd have to be willing to just throw that away if nothing comes of your application. Now, if your application's approved, your dispensary then has to come up with $15,000 as a one-time licensing fee. Then you got to come up with $22,500 to renew your license every year. And you have to provide proof of assets or a bond of up to $200,000 and proof that you can come up with at least $100,000 in liquid assets. Like, if they asked you to come up with hundred grand cash, you could do it. And then you can rent a dispensary. That's all it takes. One of 32 that can grow 50 plants. Now, suppose you want to be one of these cultivation facilities. And you may be asking, what the hell's the difference between a dispensary and a cultivation facility? Well, a cultivation facility is one that can only grow, whereas a dispensary can grow and sell. So there's some vertical integration there. But if you want one of these cultivation-only facilities, their application fee is $15,000, but you get half of that back if you're rejected, so got to be willing to throw away $7,500, and uh, the annual licensing fee is $100,000, and then you have to provide a $500,000 performance bond and a proof of assets or a surety bond of up to a million dollars, 
and proof that you can come up with at least a half million dollars in liquid assets. And then you can run a grow in Arkansas. So this is just the latest state to do this. I've reported before on some of these fees in some of these medical marijuana states that in Florida, they require you to have $5 million in escrow. In uh, Massachusetts, $2 million you got to come up with in escrow. A million dollars uh, escrow for a dispensary or producer in Hawaii. Uh, the annual fees, some of these states, $200,000 annual fee in Illinois, $300,000 annual fee in Florida, $200,000 annual fee in Pennsylvania, which you, where you have to come up with $1.5 million in escrow. And the amount of profit these states can make simply from the re, from the non-refundable fees, not even talking the people that get, you know, the actual licenses that are pay, they're paying for. In the state of Illinois, they had 159 people or entities apply for 21 licenses. The non-refundable fee was $25,000, which meant the state of Illinois made $3.45 million for people handing in a piece of paper. It's a racket, folks. It's absolutely a racket. This is why you got to fight so hard for home grow so you can avoid this whole racket. Anyway, when we come back, former Texas Corrections Officer Brian Chapman on the treatment of our inmates. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. Hmm. Yeah. A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. The war on drugs is just one symptom of the American criminal justice system gone awry. Reforms are desperately needed in the areas of mass incarceration to asset forfeiture, police brutality to racial profiling, mandatory minimum sentencing to solitary confinement, and so much more. One group of law enforcement professionals has recognized the need to reform policing to better protect and serve the people. Join us now for another discussion with a speaker from LEAP, the Law Enforcement Action Partnership, in this edition of Police for Reform. Welcome back, everybody. 31 after the hour. And joining us today in our LEAP segment, Police for Reform, we've got Brian Chapman, a former corrections officer from the state of Texas. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Russ. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? How long did you serve as a corrections officer and, and what got you into that field? Um, well, I was a probation officer uh, in Dallas, Texas, and Dallas County uh, for Dallas County Community Supervision Corrections Department. I was in that position 
for about three and a half, almost four years. Um, I originally got into that job. I actually have my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. So uh, when I graduated, I, uh, I was interested in uh, uh, getting to law enforcement or corrections one way. So I ended up uh, uh, applying for Dallas County, and I was a probation officer for that time. You know, we were just talking in the news about the uh, city of Dallas, their city council, in a 10 to 5 vote passing, uh, I guess, an ordinance for anyone caught with less than a quarter pound of marijuana. They would just get a sight and release sort of ticket. Uh, what do you think about that news? Is that something that was even approachable when you were serving? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I was, I've been really um, pleased with uh the city of Dallas and really the state of Texas as a whole. Uh, yeah, about, I guess it's been about three, four years now uh, when I left. Uh, the idea of that happening, uh, but since I didn't have a real positive outlook of that happening then, uh, then I do now. Uh, so I'm really glad to see uh, yeah, this residents, the council, city council of Dallas and really Texans as a whole, uh, really uh, changing their mind and opinion about this issue. How much did marijuana violations factor into your job as a, as a parole or probation? Was it parole, do you said, or probation? A probation officer. Probation. Sorry about that. As a probation officer, how much did it factor in for you? Because I, I understand, you know, people would have to be tested and, and, and take pee tests and such, and marijuana would definitely cause a failure there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you... What I always tell people is, especially with marijuana, you waste so much time and energy and money, taxpayers' money on 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 really a uh, uh, you know a, a nonviolent crime and a substance that is really most honestly is going to be most less dangerous than alcohol, and it just really bothered you know just the amount of time and energy that we were wasting. We could have been focusing more on you know violent criminals and. Uh, things like that. And it really, we just, it really just, it just really just kind of, you know, got to me after a while, just saying that we're just wasting our time just spinning our wheels here. You're just trying to uh, enforce these marijuana laws. Did you ever have situations where you had folks that had run afoul of the law in a, in a, in a legit sense, you know, they'd committed real crimes, but through, mm-hmm. but through this, they were coming through probation. They were doing well, you know, their lives were turning around. They were being responsible, except they get dinged on a P test. And, and, and how did that affect them in their, in their arc? Well, I mean, yeah, they, they would, you know, they'd be making progress on probation and all of a sudden they just have a, you know, a, a positive analysis test for marijuana and all of a sudden now, you know, now they got to go back to court. Now they got to go back in front of the judge. You may have a warrant put out for them now. So it's basically, it came, almost came counterproductive at that point. They were, you know, they were doing so well. They were doing really well. And you were, you know, as a probation officer, that's what you wanted to see. You, you, you know, you had a vested interest in that. And then you see something like that happen. And then all of a sudden, Hey, now you got a warrant. So, Cops are going to be looking for you, so uh, I used to go tell them, just go handle this now because I really don't want to have to have you arrested in my office. So it just—it really just kind of a—and uh, you, you, I see that even with uh, probationers who were on probation for a uh, you know for a possession case, they were, you know, other than just using marijuana. I mean, they they were functioning, they had jobs, they had families, they had you know 
they were able, they were basically self-sufficient, you know, adults, just like anyone else. But, you know, just the fact that you just want to use marijuana after work instead of a, you know, a glass of wine or, you know, a beer or something like that. It, it really just kind of, uh, it really just felt like we were really being counterproductive. Yeah, it sounds like it. And as we look at the statistics when it comes to the enforcement of these marijuana laws, we find time and time again they're racially disproportionate, that minorities are getting the brunt of this, especially younger folks. Did you see that mm-hmm. in your time serving? And and do you feel that you know ending this war on marijuana is going to make a big difference in that respect? Oh, it's, it's, it'd be huge. I, I, tell, I think that's probably one of the bigger things. I, when I was a probation officer, if the area that I was in charge in Dallas was would be the inner city of Dallas. So if I was uh, in the, you know, if I was in the inner city of Dallas, you know, doing home visits or even just in the area, um, the war on drugs has created such a distrust between our minority communities in this country and the inner cities and law enforcement to the point where I didn't even have my badge on. If I was in that area, uh, if anyone ever asked me what I was doing, I was just telling them I was selling car insurance just because I created wow. such a huge, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it just created such a huge distrust that I would not tell people what I did for a living. And I, I got, I got to interrupt. Well, I got to interrupt you, Brian. I got to say in my neighborhood, uh, you, you know, somebody coming door to door to sell car insurance, <laughs> That would be not somebody you wanted knocking on the door, but I guess, you know, uh, everybody's perspective is different. And I guess the car insurance guy is a little less threatening than the guy with the badge. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. So I would say, yeah. And uh, just, yeah, just, I mean, from different, so that was my experience with it. And I, if you were to, you know, basically legalize marijuana, uh, so much that's been going on, you know, the last couple of years with, you know, minority communities and the police, I I would seriously believe you would see a majority of that disappear. So it's the, when we're talking in larger issues like the black lives matter movement and that whole situation where there's this, uh, you know, escalation to violence in situations that doesn't seem necessary. Do you really think that's a lot of that is part of the war on drugs leading to this, you know, stop and frisk mentality among the cops? It is. Um, well, with, 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 it's always funny because my probationers would always tell me their stories, and it was always interesting because you go, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to listen to them, and they always give you a different perspective. They would tell me, uh, you know, they'd get pulled over, and the first thing the cops do is, you know, be looking like, ask them, where's the drugs at? Just right, just blatantly, the first thing they'll ask them. And then they'll, you know, they would they would tell me, you know, I'm just driving down the street, and all of a sudden, if I drive by this one trap house or whatever, known trap house, even if I just drive right by it, these cops will be following me just because of that area was just so such a red zone for them. And they, they would just, they would just talk about just, you know, just, they just felt harassed. They didn't feel comfortable contacting the police. It also created issues because what would happen is that they actually had a legitimate problem, you know, at home or something like that or in their area. No one would want to call the police just because it created such a distrust between uh, law enforcement and their community. Hmm. 
so we actually make the problems worse. You know, we 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 worry about the uh, the cities and the the crime rates there, and so we want effective policing to deal with that. And then we uh, we we disincentivize people from wanting to call the police to deal with those situations. That that's just making things worse. Yeah, yeah it, it's to me it, it just made no sense after uh, you know just seeing. It's basically after you see it so often, it just really just kind of just makes you think for a minute, like, wow, this <laughs> there there has to be another way. Well, and we also see the devastating consequences of this when uh, police officers are ambushed and shot at now uh, in these situations that nobody wants to see. Uh, even people, no. everybody wants to have, well, I, like, almost everybody, I think, would want to have uh, uh, safe streets. Well, yeah, I would say if you're if you're a supporter of the police, this would be one mar- legalizing marijuana would actually be something you would want support because you would take you want to be putting police in dangerous situations. Like like for me, you know, <laughs> for me going into some of these neighborhoods and some of these homes, you know, I was in a situation where it would, quite frankly, it would not have been for for anyone else. It would not have been they would not have felt safe. And as, as me, as a probation officer, I, I learned how to uh, handle those situations much better. If I actually saw, if I actually went into the house and there was actually drugs right in front of me, instead of uh, confronting a probationer in their house, I just look at it and just look at them and just say, I'll see you in two weeks and walk right out. Because mm-hmm. I, did, <laughs> I didn't want to confront them and, I, you know, and create a more hostile situation for me. And I imagine, you know, for police officers throughout the country, especially for, you know, patrolling the inner cities and things like that, it just creates such a hostile work environment for the police officers that, you know, they probably end up doing things that they would not want to be doing or responding in ways that wouldn't, they wouldn't want to be responding. And that's where you kind of see all these issues that have been happening here over years. And just for me, just, just because of these uh, illegal, uh, just because of these uh illegal substances that we made illegal had been really being the cause of it. So when you went out on these visits, uh, you were just going out alone without a badge unarmed. I was unarmed. Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I that's, was unarmed. That's I, something we I don't did... really uh, think much about. I mean, we think a lot about our police officers, uh, going into hostile situations, but they've got, you know, their, their taser, their baton, their guns, some body armor, a partner, a canine. You're going in there all by yourself. That's amazing. Well, yeah, I, I always said my brain was my biggest weapon. I mean, you mm. just, you just, you had, it was basically just how you, presented itself how you carried yourself and things like that and realizing you know if there's something illegal going on this is not the place to handle it so, so how come how come uh, probation officers aren't teaching the police officers these techniques they could really use it well I, I I think really it's like for me personally when I was a probation officer I could still go to the roughest parts of Dallas today, and I'll still run into my old probationers, and they'll still come up and talk to me. We'll just chat like we, you know, like we were when I was supervising them years ago. And it's just because I think sometimes with pro- police officers now, we kind of have a shoot first, ask questions later mentality with a lot of them. And I don't really think that um, I really think that that's a problem with a lot of them. 
Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think they're really being real level-headed when they're getting into some of these situations, even if it's just something as simple as just a traffic stop or something like mm-hmm. that. And that's where I think where you kind of see all these, you know, issues arising. I wanted to talk to you about one other situation, but it's not in Texas, and it's maybe outside of your uh, experience, being that it happened in uh, a prison. But in Florida, there was this case of a man who ended up getting boiled to death, uh, pretty much. They put him in this shower, locked him in for Mm -hmm. a couple hours uh, with 160-degree water, and the guy ended up dying, and and no charges ended up being filed. And just, I guess, in a general sense, uh, as someone who worked in, in uh, in law enforcement, what needs to happen so that some of these people actually get held accountable? I think that would help to build some of that trust back up. Well, I mean, it'd just be if there's, you know, police officers uh, doing things like that, uh, this, the, the county needs to prosecute them. Uh, they need to really do a full investigation, independent investigations. And I think another thing, too, that we need to do as well is law enforcement, corrections, probation, I will basically just, yeah, this law enforcement altogether really is not equipped. Cause I believe the gentleman was mentally, yeah, was mentally ill. Yes, yes. Is not really equipped to handle mental illness. Because uh, I believe he's also, I believe he was arrested for a drug charge. He was in uh, uh, serving correctly. a cocaine possession charge. He was uh, okay. a mentally ill schizophrenic man who had smeared feces all over his cell, and they were punishing yeah, and, him by throwing him in the shower. Yeah, and and a lot of mentally uh, handicapped. Uh, well, I know from my experience when I had mentally handicapped probationers, they would they would do things that you would you would you wouldn't really <laughs> that wouldn't make sense to you. Let's put it that way. That's mental so, illness. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's 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 mental illness. So, and I really a lot of law enforcement, especially in the prisons and jails, they're not mental health facilities. They're prisons and jails, and that's yeah. where you have. Um, a lot of these issues. Um, so until, I think really until you address that issue, that really should be one of the big issues to address. And I think if you do that, um, then you won't have these issues with police or corrections officers who don't understand how mental illness works and then they do things like this. Well, Brian Chapman from Law Enforcement Action Partnership, we appreciate uh, the time that you served uh, there in Dallas and uh especially now the time that you are putting in as a speaker for Law Enforcement Action Partnership. You can find out more about LEAP at leap.cc. That's L-E-A-P dot C-C. Or if you want to type a little bit, you can go to copsaylegalizeddrugs.com and find the same information. They've got a speakers bureau with speakers in almost every state and a lot of foreign countries now. So if you've got like a Lions Club meeting, a Rotary, uh, a, a city council, meeting even, they can oftentimes find you a speaker who can deliver the message to end adult drug prohibition, not just marijuana, adult drug prohibition, and come up with smarter, more sensible, more compassionate reforms for law enforcement. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have time for a radical rant. Tomorrow, I head deep into Mordor. We're off on our way to the Mount Doom Hempfest, and I'm going to tell you all about Governor Sauron when we come back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
Coming on Monday, May 1st, 2017, a new daily podcast dedicated to the expanding world of medical cannabis, adult marijuana, industrial hemp, and spiritual ganja. Featuring leaders and experts from the worlds of activism, business, research, and entertainment. It's the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville, premiering May 1st on MJAgenda.com. Learn more at MJAgenda.com. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. Total war against public enemy number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for up to one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheat and charm. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was that was the point. I think we made a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. In my last rant, I mentioned that today I am leaving the Shire and traveling across Middle Earth, traveling across Middle Earth straight into the depths of Mordor, or as the modern cartographers refer to it, Idaho. I'm speaking at the Mount Doom Hemp Fest, a.k.a. the Boise Hemp Fest, on Saturday, along with Seattle Hemp Fest's Steve Fun and Portland Normal's Leland Berger, Southern Alternative Medicine's, Southern Oregon Alternative Medicine's Lori Duckworth, and Beverly Hills Cannabis Club's Cheryl Schumann. Or, as we call it, our Spring Weed Tolerance Break, as smoking marijuana is not on our Hemp Fest agenda. Now, I've explained repeatedly how in Idaho, you don't even have to have weed on your person to be a cannabis criminal. You only need to have weed in your person. It is a misdemeanor crime in Idaho to be under the influence of a controlled substance in public. The presence of active THC in your bloodstream, which is detectable for days after your last use, especially after my last use, is a crime everywhere in Idaho except private property not accessible to the public. So as long as you stay inside your own home with the shutters drawn and the curtains closed and the doors locked and nobody can tell that you're high, then maybe we'll let let you alone. Now, this punishment for this misdemeanor, in addition to earning yourself a criminal record, Uh, The punishment for being high in public in Idaho can be as much as a $1,000 fine and six months in jail. Now, there are other misdemeanor crimes. These are class B misdemeanors in the state of Idaho for which the penalty is the same. So you get six months and $1,000 for being high in public. And this is even if you are in Oregon across the border and you smoke pot legally and then you cross the border into Idaho and you've never had pot on you and you never smoked pot in Idaho, 
But the fact you got active THC in your system from a legal state still means you're breaking the law. Six months, $1,000 fine. That's the same penalty you can get in Idaho for your first time DUI. Yeah, first time driving under the influence, you can get six months, $1,000 fine. You can get that same penalty for the first time driving without a license. It's your first conviction. You can get six months, $1,000 fine. Now, this is not to say you're going to get six months on a $1,000 fine. You might get probation. You might get a slap on the wrist. But the possibility is there that you could get this. If I walk down the street in Boise and just punch someone in the face, that's a simple assault, class B misdemeanor. I could get six months, $1,000 fine, the same as if I'm just high in public. Let's say I go back to Boise State University and I found a student club and anybody that wants to join the student club can join. But first, they got to go through a ritual where I force them to wear panties on their head, put on a pink T-shirt that says, I'm a Bronco Ferry. That's hazing. And hazing is a class B misdemeanor for which I can get six months and a thousand dollar fine. The same as being high in public. How about how about there's a locked door? I really want to get in that door, man. I sure want to get in that door. So I fake some keys. I make some counterfeit keys to get in that door. Six months, $1,000 fine. Just like being high in public in Idaho. Hell, it doesn't even have to be a door. How about we went into a computer? Want to hack into a computer? Not to mess anything up, not to delete anything, not to ruin anything, not to steal anything, just to get in. That's hacking. That's six months, $1,000 fine. Just like being high in public. Now, what if I got busted for these things? Let's say I did punch someone in the face and hazed their incoming freshman child and counterfeited keys to get in his house and hacked their computer, and I was bound to go to trial for this. There were some witnesses that could prove that I did this, and I went and said, hey, you go and testify against me, and I'll kick your ass. Well, that's intimidating a witness. That's a misdemeanor with a six months and $1,000 fine, just like being high in public. And maybe I don't like these laws. Maybe I think being high in public is something that ought not be a law. So, you know, I don't live in Idaho. I live in Oregon. But let's say I sneak across the border and I fraudulently vote for something that would change that law. That's voter fraud. That's six months, $1,000 fine in the state of Idaho, just like being high in public. So if traveling to Idaho is Mordor and Boise is Mount Doom, then Idaho governor and adorable gay sea mammal Butch Otter is the evil Sauron. Now, I've told you how he's the only governor in the nation to veto a CBD bill to help epileptic kids, right? Yet, while Governor Otter believes letting sick kids use a non-psychoactive marijuana derivative, quote, has the potential to exacerbate health problems and decrease public safety, end quote, he had no problem signing bills that allow helmetless motorcycle riders to pass cars on the freeway at 94 miles per hour while they're carrying concealed firearms anywhere but a school or prison with no permit or training required. <laughs> so much for public health and safety. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, the guy's fine. You guys like concealed weapon. Come on in. You're, you're cool. cool. Wait a minute. That kid has CBD oil. Stop him. It's just so weird what Idaho considers to be safer than marijuana. Here's a state that steadfastly refuses to allow oncologists with years of medical school training to recommend cannabis to cancer patients battling the ravages of chemotherapy 
but has no problem allowing untrained, unregulated 19-year-olds to serve alcohol. Somehow, if you smoke a joint inside your home and then go outside, you're an unacceptable risk to yourself and public safety. But if you want to strap a rubber band onto your legs and jump off the bridge that spans the canyon Evil Knievel once tried to jump on a rocket bike, well, hell, you can do that anytime you want with no permit required. Somehow, if we let parents treat their epileptic kids with a non-psychoactive derivative of cannabis, that will lead to an inexorable slippery slope that results in teenage pot zombies shambling through the streets of Boise in search of strains. Strains! But firework shops in Idaho literally have blue and red floors, where the blue side contains the fireworks you can legally buy and use in Idaho, and the red side contains the fireworks that are illegal to use in Idaho, but you can legally buy them if you promise to only use them out of state where they're legal, and Nevada's the only neighboring state where they are. You know, the only thing more terrifying in Idaho than somebody filling their chest with marijuana smoke is a woman burying her chest in a private club. In the state's so-called strip clubs, female dancers must remain in bikinis if the club's untrained, unregulated 19-year-old bartenders are serving alcohol. But not the hard stuff. If there are women in bikinis on stage, it's beer and wine only, no liquor. Let's not go crazy here. And if she takes off her top, all the alcohol must go. And if she takes off her bottom, she and the club owner will be punished the same as if they'd been high in public. That's right. A naked woman dancing in a club, even if it has no alcohol, is a Class B misdemeanor with a six-month and a $1,000 fine. Oh, and despite the Supreme Court's 2003 ruling in Lawrence v. Texas... Idaho still considered a, considers it a crime for two unmarried people or two people not married to each other to have sex. That's right. Adultery is illegal in Idaho. Fornication is illegal in Idaho. Oh, and even if you're married, forget about anal sex. Strictly illegal in the state of Idaho. Now, Going back to Governor Sauron, uh, the veto pen of Governor Sauron isn't limited to just ensuring that epileptic kids continue their life-threatening seizures. For poor people trying to feed their kids, Governor Sauron vetoed a bill to exempt groceries from the state's 6% sales tax, explaining that the costs were too high for, quote, the small amount of tax relief it would provide, end quote. To ensure that we marijuana consumers can still be harassed to the fullest by police, Governor Sauron vetoed a bill to require a criminal conviction before law enforcement can seize suspects' property under civil asset forfeiture. Now, this sales tax repeal for groceries, the civil asset forfeiture reform, and the cannabidiol bill for kids, they all sailed through the Idaho legislature with broad bipartisan support. So... Why don't they just override Governor Sauron's vetoes? Ah, because Idaho is one of only six states where the legislature can't convene itself to override a veto. Only the governor can call a special session of the legislature that only meets every two years 
So the governor just saves up all the vetoes for after the legislature has adjourned when they can do nothing about it. So, we'll see if I can make it through three separate speeches at Boise Hemp Fest without getting arrested. Uh, if I do, please tell Gandalf to send over those giant eagles to fly me the hell out of there. That's all the time we got for today on the podcast. Thanks for listening. And those of you watching live on RadicalRust.com, stay tuned. We'll be back with more news and views you can use for the cannabis community. For everyone here at Delta 9 House and Studios, I'm Radical Russ. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seat, you're planning, you're growing, you're giant, you're rolling, you're smoking. You take a seat, you're planning, you're growing, you're giant, you're rolling, you're smoking.